ever since I was a kid, I've really always liked the UPS man. It's a funny man to like. You know, he's got the brown shorts with the brown socks. Could dress up for that around around Halloween time or something, you know. It's kind of a funny thing to kind of a funny thing to be excited about. But my mom would order things for me from like Sears or JCPenney. And they, they, things didn't come like second day prime shipping or anything like that. Back then it was like four to six weeks. And so I'm sitting out there, I'm waiting for stuff, to, waiting for a toy to come from Sears. And, and I'm going out there and shooting basketball every afternoon, looking for the UPS man, waiting for the UPS man, hoping for the UPS man because the UPS man was going to deliver, deliver what I'd ordered, what I'd picked out. I'd gone through that catalog, you know, page after page after page, but I narrowed it down to, hey, this is what I want. Here comes the UPS man. UPS man delivers. <laughs> that's just that's just the little bit of a, the, the sense of anticipation that, that you have when you're a kid and you're waiting for something. How much greater is it in our lives where we experience we experience so many gifts, we experience so many good things, we experience so much of that mixed with suffering and difficulty? How much greater is our anticipation for Jesus Christ? For Jesus Christ, for salvation, for, for not just a, a sense of, of a, a little bit of a, of a, of a mix of, of good and bad and, and difficulty, but the complete and full experience of everything that salvation for eternity means, everything that it means to have eternal life, Jesus Christ brings that. Well, that's what I hope you'll have today. I hope you'll have that same sense of anticipation and you'll have that sense of hope, that sense of joy that comes from knowing that the Messiah has come and the Messiah is coming, that Jesus Christ is coming again. Today we're going to be in Genesis 48 and 49. Genesis 48 and 49. We'll start in Genesis 48. And we'll answer this first question, which is, will you believe God's promises? Will you believe God's promises? Genesis 48. Will you believe God's promises? Start in verse 1. Read with me. So what it says. After this, Joseph was told, Behold, your father is ill. So he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And it was told to Jacob, Your son Joseph has come to you. Then Israel summoned his strength and sat up in bed. And Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me and said to me, Behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you, and I will make of you a company of peoples and will give this land to your offspring after you for an everlasting possession. And now your two sons, who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt, are mine. Ephraim and Manasseh shall be mine, as Reuben and Simeon are. And the children that you, you fathered after them shall be yours." They shall be called by the name of their brothers and their inheritance. As for me, when I came from Padan to my sorrow, Rachel died in the land of Canaan on the way, when there was still some distance to go to Ephrath. And I buried her there on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. When Israel saw Joseph's sons, he said, Who are these? Joseph said to his father, They are my sons whom God has given me here. And he said, Bring them to me, please, that I may bless them. Now the eyes of Israel were dim with age so that he could not see. So Joseph brought them near him and he kissed them and embraced them. And Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face and behold, God has let me see your offspring also. Then Joseph removed them from his knees and he bowed himself with his face to the earth. And Joseph took them both, Ephraim in his right hand toward Israel's left hand and Manasseh in his left hand toward Israel's right hand and brought them near him. 
And Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on the head of Ephraim, who was the younger, and his left hand on the head of Manasseh, crossing his hands, for Manasseh was the firstborn. And he blessed Joseph and said, The God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the boys, and in them let my name be carried on, and the name of my fathers Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. When Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand on the head of Ephraim, it displeased him, and he took his father's hand to move it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. And Joseph said to his father, Not this way, my father, since this, is, this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He also shall become a people, and he also shall be great. Nevertheless, his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his offspring shall become a multitude of nations. So he blessed them that day, saying, By you Israel pronounced blessings, saying, God make you as Ephraim and Manasseh. Thus he put Ephraim before Manasseh. Then Israel said to Joseph, Behold, I am about to die, but God will be with you, and will bring you again to the land of your fathers. Moreover, I have given to you rather than to your brothers one mountain slope that I took from the hand of the Amorites with my sword and with my bow. Jacob, uh, Jacob and Israel, just a little note before we get into this. Jacob and Israel are the same person. Uh, Jacob is Israel. Israel is Jacob. Uh, the, the name Israel predominates through here because the, Israel is the covenant name that God gave to Jacob. And these are the covenant blessings that are being passed on to his children. So you have Israel coming here to his death. And at his death, he is thinking about, maybe he doesn't see very well with his eyes, but he sees better now than he has ever seen before because he sees what God has been doing in his life. He sees that God has always been keeping his promises. He sees and he believes that God will keep his promises. Look at the evidence there. Look at verses three and four to start. He's talking to, he's talking to Joseph. He's called Joseph in. He's going to adopt uh, Joseph's sons as his own. We'll talk about that, that in a little bit. But he says, in verses 3 and 4, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me and said, Behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you. And I will make of you a company of peoples and will give you this land to your offspring after you for an everlasting possession. That is, when, when, when I was still early in my life, he was on his way out of the land of promise because he was running for his life, because his brother wanted to kill him, because he had deceived his father. He was leaving. He was leaving all alone. He was leaving with nothing. And here God shows up to him and says, hey, I'm going to bless you. And always the blessing is, always the promises, the content of the promises from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob is offspring and blessing. Offspring and a, a, a place of eternal possession. Land and offspring. And so God comes to Jacob and says to him, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a land that you're going to live in forever. I'm going to give you offspring. Not only that, I'm going to make you a, a multitude of, of peoples, a company of peoples. Abraham had passed it on to Isaac. Isaac had passed it on to Jacob. But now Jacob was passing it on to his 12 sons who were going to become a nation. And even more than that, the, the promises that were made to Abraham that, that he was going to become a multitude of nations. Romans 4 talks about all those who have the faith of Abraham are, are brought into this multitude of nations who, who are part of God's people. And so God is saying to God, uh, Jacob here, Israel here, is remembering what God had said to him. God took care of me. God promised me. God took me from being this lone man out in the wilderness with my head on a rock for a pillow. 
And now God has made me into a company of people. God is expanding me. Not only that, but he remembers how, how his, his wife, Rachel, had died on the way back into the land. And he says here, that's kind of the reason why he is, he is taking Joseph in. So Joseph, uh, Joseph is, his, is the oldest son of his favored wife. And Joseph is the one who is going to receive the birthright. That is the, the double portion. And so what, what Jacob is, is doing here, what Israel is doing here, is he is adopting his two sons. Both of those sons are going to be just like Jacob's sons, just like Israel's sons. So they're going to get an inheritance with all the other sons. So Reuben and Simeon are uh, Israel's oldest, but now Manasseh and Ephraim are going to be just like them. They're going to be his sons. So Rachel, who died before she could give him any more children before she could give him any more sons now even her even her offspring are being expanded even here he is he's on his deathbed and he's still having more kids he's still having more sons God is still keeping his his promises of expanding offspring and so here he's still expanding his offspring even more well he says to him I'm gonna I'm gonna stay here the the sons that you have after after this they're gonna be yours Joseph but the sons that you had before I moved here the sons that were here in Egypt are going to be added to the people of Israel. Well, you kind of have the ceremony in verses 8 through 12. Uh, they, they come here. This is, uh, you kind of, he, of course, he knows who Ephraim and Manasseh are, but this is a, this is a part of a ceremony. This is a part of, way of a way of officially adopting these two sons as his own sons. So that's the idea, even though Manasseh and Ephraim are like 20 years old, when it talks about them being taken from, uh, that's Israel's knees. That's the idea that they were, they were there. He kind of embraces them. He kisses them. He hugs them. They're there on his knees. It's like when he received them at birth and he would hold them and, and bounce them on his knees. He's, that's the same kind of idea. It's kind of this ritual playing out of, these are my sons. These are my sons as much as any other sons of adopting these sons as his own. Well, then he adopts them and he says, he says in verse 11, I never expected to see your face and behold, God has let me see your offspring also. Do you think of all the times where it looked like the, especially in Jacob's life, that the promises could not possibly come true? God could not, God said that he would bless him, that he would make him a multitude of peoples. And it seems like for decades at a time, Israel just forgot all about what God had said. It looked like it wasn't going to happen. But here he is in the land of Egypt. And he says to Joseph, I, I thought I'd never see you again. And here I am seeing your offspring. God is expanding. God is, God is giving him sons. God is still giving him sons. God is giving him grandsons. God is expanding this great people. God is making him into a great nation. God is keeping his promises. Israel's is believing that. Well, then starting... With verse 13, kind of move into this uh, kind of a separate ceremony. This is the, this is the blessing ceremony. You so say they have the adoption ceremony and then the blessing ceremony. And Joseph very carefully brings the sons to him so that Manasseh is on Jacob's right hand uh, and Ephraim is on Jacob's left hand. So, so we'll come to that. But he come, they come to him and he, when, when they come to him, he, he puts his hands, he crosses his arms and he begins to bless them. Look at the blessing that he gives them. Verse, verses 15 and 16. The God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day. Think about that. God, God was with Jacob even when Jacob was in the womb. 
Like God was, God was saying about Jacob and Esau, he said the, the older is going to serve the younger. Before they were born, before they had done anything good or bad, God had said, I'm going to be with Jacob. God was with Jacob. And he says the angel, this is, the, this is God's angel, the angel of the Lord, that is so often equated with God in the Old Testament. Most often thought of as as. A, a, a way that, that Jesus came is, is pictured there, that the Son of God is pictured there active in the Old Testament. The angel who has redeemed me from all evil. Think of all the times when, East, uh, when, when, when Israel was saved from evil. He, was, he went out to a foreign land. He went out to serve under Laban. Laban tried to cheat him over and over again. Even when, even when Israel ran, uh, Laban came after him, and Laban is ready to destroy him, except that God comes to Laban in the night and says, you better not touch him, because he's mine. You don't touch him. Or when he's going to see Esau. And here's Esau coming from a long way away, and Esau's got 400 armed men with him, and, and he is there in the night, and he's separating his camps, and he's trying to do whatever he can. He's sending out gifts to try and keep Esau from destroying him, but God gives him favor in Esau's sight. Or think about maybe a lesser-known story, Genesis 34, where Simeon and Levi, they go and destroy all of the inhabitants of Shechem. And Israel, Jacob says to his sons, he says, you have made me a stench to the people here. But do you know what it says? God put the fear, put fear in their hearts so that the, the surrounding people would not touch Israel. And even here in the famine, Israel is there with his sons in Canaan. There's famine in Canaan. There is the, there is the chance that all of their family, their Jacob and his sons and his son's sons and all that they have, all that God has given them is going to be starved to death. It's going to be destroyed. And God keeps him. God redeems him. The angel of the Lord redeems him from all Israel. And so he says, let these sons become a multitude in the midst of the earth. Let let God keep his promises the same way that God has been my shepherd my whole life, the same way that the angel of the Lord has redeemed me from all evil. God, multiply these people. Do you see that he is believing in God's promises? He believes them. Even right up until his death, he is believing that God is going to keep all of his promises. What will you think about should you die before Jesus Christ returns? I hope that you will die believing God's promises. That you will die believing that all of the promises that God has made are yes in Jesus Christ. That he is the one who has fulfilled all the promises of God. He is the one who has secured all the promises of God. All of God's promises are being kept. Jacob starts to see them being kept in his life. And here is Israel at the end of his life. And he is going back. He is looking back over all the mysterious ways of God. All of the, all of the treasured ways that God has, has thought up. How is he going to do all these things? And he's looking back and God is his own interpreter. Israel looks back and says, look at all that God has done for me. He's been my shepherd. He's been my redeemer. He has been the one who kept me from all evil. He's the one who keeps me. And even there, you see that Joseph is upset about the way that Israel is crossing his arms. So Israel comes to him. Uh, Ephraim is over here. And I'm sorry, Manasseh is over here and Ephraim is over here. 
and he crosses his arms so that the right hand is on Ephraim, the younger, and his left hand on Manasseh, the older. You know, it's kind of hard for us to get the idea of what's going on here, but this is, this is the rites of primogeniture. That is, who gets to be first? And in the ancient world, the firstborn got to be first. They got the blessing. They got the double portion. It wasn't something, it wasn't something that a, a father just kind of decided, hey, I think I'm going to do it a little, di- little bit different this time. That wasn't the kind of thing. It was, it was something that's so important. You see, that it actually says, it says there that Joseph was displeased. It actually literally is it was evil in his sight. He did not like it. He was, he was really deeply troubled about what Israel was doing. When you think about, think about the, the comparison here between Isaac and when he, blessed, when he blessed Jacob. Isaac didn't know who he was blessing. He did not know that he was blessing the younger over the older. But look at, what, look at what Israel says. Israel says, I, I know my son, I know. God, God had determined that Ephraim would be the one blessed. That the tribe of Ephraim would be the greater people. It's because God's ways are not man's ways. God, God chose Isaac over Ishmael because Isaac was the son of promise. God chose Jacob before Esau while they were still in the womb. God, in God's kingdom, it is the last will be first and the first will be last. There will be the humble will be exalted and the exalted will be humbled. The wisdom of the wise is, is made to look as foolishness. And here the foolishness of the cross, the cross of Jesus Christ, is the wisdom of God, justification and sanctification and redemption for us. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God's ways are not man's ways. God has gone out of his way to show that I am not thinking about things the way that men think about things. Joseph is thinking. Joseph is thinking in a very earthly way. This is the way it's supposed to be done. Israel is thinking God's thoughts after him and saying this is the way in God's kingdom. And so Ephraim eventually becomes the greater people in the, in the nation of Israel, becomes the greater tribe. And finally, look at, look at Israel's hope there in verses 20 and 21. He says, he blessed them that day. He makes, he makes Ephraim before Manasseh. Both of them are going to become a great people, but Ephraim is the one who is going to become the greater people. He puts Ephraim before Manasseh. Look at verses 21 and 22. I'm about to die. But God will be with you and will bring you again to the land of your fathers. I'm about to die. I'm not seeing all the promises that God promised. I'm not seeing everything worked out. I'm not seeing everything. Actually, I I don't grasp these things in my hand. So, So much of our lives are walking just the same way that Israel walked here. We are, not, we are not seeing with our eyes. We are not grasping with our hands everything that God has promised. But we are believing because Jesus Christ died on the cross, because God made promises, because Jesus Christ rose from the dead, because God gave us his spirit as a down payment for the inheritance that we are receiving. We are believing that God is going to keep his promises. And not only that, but hey, not only is God going to bring you back, but here's a little place that's just for you. That whole mountain slope there sounds like the word for Shechem. That's actually where Joseph is carried back and buried. It's because God visits 
the people of Israel in Egypt and he brings them out. The same way that Israel said they would visit them in Egypt and bring them out. That's because God always keeps his promises. We should trust, we should hope in the promises of God. And know, know whether or not we die before Jesus returns or not, we know that what God has said is going to happen. We know that God is going to keep his promises. We have every reason to see that over and over and over and over and over again, God has kept his promises and God has given us his son to secure those promises. He has given us his spirit to assure us of those promises. He will keep all of his promises. We should be believing that. We should believe this great God who is a promise-making God and a promise-keeping God. So we see there, we see where, we see that, that Jacob is believing, that Israel is believing in God's promises. Now the next question that we want to look at is where will salvation come from? Where will salvation come from? Look at chapter 49, start reading in verse 1, and we'll read through verse 28. This is what it says. It says, then Jacob called his sons and said, gather yourselves together that I may tell you what, you what shall happen to you in days to come. Assemble and listen, O sons of Jacob. Listen to Israel, your father. Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might and the firstfruits of my strength, preeminent in dignity and preeminent in power. Unstable as water, you shall not have preeminence because you went up to your father's bed. Then you defiled it. He went up to my couch. Simeon and Levi are brothers. Weapons of violence are their swords. Let my soul come not into their counsel. O my glory, be not joined to their company. For in their anger they killed men. In their willfulness they hamstrung oxen. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. Judah, your brothers shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's son shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down, he crouched as a lion, and as a lioness who dares rouse him. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him. And to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. Binding his foal to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine, he has washed his garments in wine and his vesture in the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine and his teeth whiter than milk. Zebulun shall dwell at the shore of the sea. He shall become a haven for ships, and his border shall be Sidon. Issachar is a strong donkey crouching between the sheepfolds. He saw that a resting place was good and that the land was pleasant, so he bowed his shoulder to bear and became a servant at forced labor. Dan shall judge his people as one of the tribes of Israel. Dan shall be a serpent in the way, a viper by the path that bites the horse's heels so that his rider falls backward. I wait for your salvation, O Lord. Raiders shall raid Gad, but he shall raid at their heels. Asher's food shall be rich, and he shall yield royal, royal delicacies. Naphtali is a doe let loose that bears beautiful fawns. Joseph is a fruitful bow, a fruitful bow by a spring. His branches run over the wall. The archers bitterly attacked him, shot at him, and harassed him severely. Yet his bow remained unmoved. His arms were made agile by the hands of the mighty one of Jacob. From there is the shepherd, the stone of Israel, by the God of your Father who will help you, by the Almighty who will bless you with blessings of heaven above, blessings of the deep that crouches beneath, blessings of the breast and of the womb, the blessings of your Father, a mighty beyond the blessing, blessings of my parents, up to the bounties of the everlasting hills. May they be on the head of Joseph and on the brow of him who is set apart from his brothers. 
Benjamin is a ravenous wolf, in the morning devouring the prey, and at evening dividing the spoil. All these are the twelve tribes of Israel. This is what their father said to them as he blessed them, blessing each one with a blessing suitable to him. You look at verse 1 there, and it says that Jacob called his sons together. Gather yourselves together, that I may tell you what shall happen in the days to come. Assemble and listen, O sons of Jacob, listen to Israel your father. The same way that Israel in the future would gather together to hear God's word. Here is all of Israel gathering together to hear God's word. The same way that we gather each Lord's day to hear God's word. That's, that's, that, that is the pattern of hearing what God has to say. And there he says there, gather yourself together and I'll tell you what will happen in the days to come. In other places, that same phrase in the original languages is translated as the last days. I'll tell you what's going to happen in the last days. That's the way the King James Version translates it. So if we think about, say, a book like Daniel, the book, the book of Daniel tells us what is going to happen between the exile and the coming of the Messiah. The book of Revelation tells us about what is going to happen from the ascension of Jesus Christ until his return. And so here, what, what Israel is telling his sons is this is what's going to happen in the nation of Israel until the coming of the Messiah, until the coming of the king. And so he starts to tell them. Now, we're going to come back to verses 3 through 12. Let's start in verses 13 and 14. I want you to look at, at what happens to these tribes. He's talking about them and their tribal inheritance. And we see that, that these blessings that act like prophecies, they tell us what happens to these tribes. So you look at verse 13 is Zebulun. Uh, Zebulun and Issachar are brothers, uh, both from, from Leah, but Issachar is the older. Zebulun is the one who is given the, the more prominent place, because, though, because he's the more successful one. Zebulun lives close to the sea. He's on a trade route to the sea, and so he benefits from that. Issachar, on the other hand, is a very strong, very strong man, but he's also lazy. And uh, one of the things that happens in the nation of Israel is that they are supposed to eradicate all of the Canaanites. Instead, they put the Canaanites to forced labor, and yet Issachar does something even worse. He becomes forced labor for the Canaanites. And so he, he, this is kind of the dissension. This is, this is kind of this mixed blessings that go on here. Then you have Dan. Dan is going to be like a serpent. It, Dan is a smaller tribe, and yet it has this fierceness about it. You know who comes from the tribe of Dan? Samson. He is this fiery serpent uh, who troubles the Philistines. So you see how, how all of this is being enacted there. Then you have uh, then you have in verse 19, you have Gad. Gad lives on the borderland, so he's raided by places like the Ammonites and the Moabites, but he raids in return. You see Asher's food, they have rich food, they have rich fertile land. Naphtali lives in the hills. He has this kind of freedom and fruitfulness of, of living in the hills. Then you have Joseph. Joseph is this fruitful branch, and he is, he is kind of this tree that keeps spreading out. And, and what happens in the tribe of Ephraim is, is this kind of, they, they, the, the people get so big that they begin to expand. And even the northern uh, part of Israel is sometimes known as Ephraim. So if you ever read in the prophets, they're known by Ephraim, who is the representative of Joseph. Joseph, Joseph is very fruitful, and yet there are people who come and attack him. There are people who come and strike him, and yet God defends him by the hands of the mighty one. From there is the shepherd, that is the stone of Israel. Here is, here is, what, here is what Israel is saying about Joseph. People are going to come attack you, and yet God is going to help you. God is going to strengthen your arms. God is going to be your mighty warrior. God is going to be your shepherd. You can, you can trust in the rock of Israel, who is God, who is Yahweh. 
And so God is going to bless you with many things. He's going to bless you with, with children. He's going to bless you with the means to take care of those children. He's going to uh, bless you. M- many are the blessings. The blessings of Jacob are even more than his father's. That is, uh, they had a certain limited. They passed it on to one son. Here is he is passing it on to a great nation. And so God is doing all these things. And then finally you come to Benjamin. Benjamin is known in history uh, for its fighting warriors. And so he plunders and then and then lives off this 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 sense of this uh all of these these the spoils that he gains this is the this is the history of israel okay so so israel is talking about this is what's going to happen to you in the future of course all of this is past for us these are things that that we see that these are prophecies that have happened god has god has carried out what he said would happen and, you know, really all these blessings, they, they picture this mixed nature of the history of Israel. At times, there was abundance in Israel. At, at one point, there was, there was so much silver in Israel that they thought of it like rocks on the ground. That was, how, that was how prosperous, that was how abundant their wealth was, how good things were. Everybody sat under their own vine. Everybody had, everybody had their own means. Everybody was taken care of. And other times, they were defeated and occupied and exiled. There is, this, there is this mixed nature of this time that Israel is going to live in. Now then look at verse 18. Look at what, look at what Jacob, Israel, says about his tribes, about his sons. He says, I wait for your salvation, O Lord. You know, this whole period of time, that he's looking at. He's kind of has this, this whole picture, this, this, this kind of, this kind of far seeing eye. He sees everything that's about to happen. And he says, I'll wait for your salvation, O Lord. This, this is not the, this is not the rest that God promised. This is not salvation. When they, uh, Joshua, the, the writer of Hebrews says that Joshua did not give the people rest. Because if there had been rest, he would not have spoken about another time in the future, a future time of rest, a time of salvation. Instead, where is the salvation going to come from? Where, where is somebody? How is, how is all of, how is salvation going to come? This is not salvation. This is some good things, some bad things. Where is salvation going to come from? When is salvation coming? I wait for your salvation, Lord. Well, now they look at verses 3 through 12. See, first you have Reuben. Reuben is the firstborn. Typically, Reuben is going to be the leader. He says, you're the, you're the first one. You're the first son that I had. I was so excited about you. You were preeminent. Uh, and yet he was unstable as water. He had, no, he, had no, he had no boundaries. It's just like water poured out on the ground. It just goes everywhere. But he says, you... Uh, what, what Reuben had done was go up and sleep with one of Jacob's concubines. That was probably an attempt by him to seize the power in the family. Backfired on him. No one ever significant ever comes from the tribe of Reuben in the history of Israel. And they have Simeon and Levi. Simeon and Levi were the, the sons who were responsible for destroying Shechem. They got angry. And so rather than taking out justice on just the person who had done something wrong, they destroyed the entire city. They took those oxen. They weren't herdsmen themselves, so they hamstrung them. They were, they were cruel to people. They were cruel to animals. They were cruel to everybody. And, and Israel says, I don't want to come into their war councils. I don't want to keep company with them. I'm not listening to these cruel, tyrannical, evil 
evil thinking men. He, he curses. He doesn't curse them. He curses their wrath and their fury, though. They're not going to lead. Instead, they're going to be dispersed in Israel. So Simeon ends up having a tribal allotment within the tribe of Judah, and they are eventually just sort of absorbed by Judah. And then Levi, the tribe of Levi, is given these cities throughout uh, the, the, the nation, and they are, but they have no tribal allotment of their own. They only have the cities dispersed throughout. And you see what God has done here? God kept Israel from bad leadership, saved them from bad kings. But look at what he says in verses 8 through 12. He says, Judah. There's a reason why I keep coming back to Judah. Start off talking about Judah in chapter 37. He's the one who sold Joseph into slavery. It was his idea. Then we see his immorality living among the Canaanites in chapter 38. But we also see that he becomes a, a transformed man. And there is this listing, this, this royal genealogy. It's very significant that this man from Perez comes from Judah. Because later on, David is going to come from Perez. And then you see Judah transformed. Judah becomes the leader of the brothers. And then it says here in verse 8, Judah, your brothers will praise you. Judah's name means praise because Leah praised God when she got Judah. But here Israel is saying no, no. And actually that word is only used elsewhere in Genesis for God. Typically only used in the Bible for God. A praise only given to God. But here they are praising Judah. He's going to praise them. He's going to be, his hand is going to be on the neck of his enemies. He's going to grab them by the nape of the neck and move them around and, and going to take care of them. Your father's son shall bow down before you. He says, Judah is a lion's cub. And he is a young lion, one who's ready to eat, one who is fierce and, and vigorous. He says, from the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down, he crouched down as a lion, as a lioness. Who dares rouse him? People are afraid to, to awaken this fearsome creature that is Judah. He's the one who's going to watch over everything. He's going to be the king. That's what we see in verse 10. He says, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet. So he's going to, he's going to hold the, the sign of kingship. He is going to be the ruler. He's going to be the king. Until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. David talks about in Psalm 2 about God's anointed, who is going to rule the nations with a rod of iron, who's going to be the one to receive tribute from all nations. He is going to be the one who is going to be king. And look at verses 11 12. He says, Binding his foal to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine. That's a picture of abundance. So when you hook a, a donkey or a horse up to a very choice vine, guess what happens to that vine? It gets eaten. Yeah, it's like, it's like throwing filet mignon to your dog. I mean, it's just like, it, it's, it's a picture of saying there is so much abundance. There is so much fruitfulness. There is, there is no lack of any good thing that we make sure that even our animals are fed the very best food that can be found. Then it says that he washes, he washes garments and, and wine in his vesture in the blood of grapes. That is, he, he uses wine as scrub water. He's got so much of it. He uses, like there is so much production. There is so much fertility. There is so much abundance that he doesn't use like regular old water. He doesn't go down to the stream. He just uses his wine. And it says his eyes are darker than wine, his teeth whiter than, than milk. 
This is the kind of abundance that this king brings in. This king from the line of Judah. There's so much that there's so much health. You can see it in his eyes. You can see it in his teeth. He's, there, there is so much health and peace and, and, and wonder and, and goodness that is right there when this king comes. You know what Israel's doing? He's, he's looking out and he's, he's, he's with his far-seeing eye and he's seeing all these things. And then there is the king from the line of Judah. The king from the line of Judah who is going to rule all of his brothers, who's going to rule over Israel, who's going to rule over the people of God, who's going to do away with the enemies, and he's going to bring in this time of, of abundance, of life, of health, of prosperity, of goodness. Well, you know who we're talking about, right? We're talking about Jesus Christ. We're talking about Jesus Christ talking about the one that God Genesis starts out with with this with sin entering the world and right there in the midst of that sin God makes a promise he says that the offspring of the woman will come and crush the serpent's head then he says to Abraham there will be there will be offspring from you not just offspring Genesis 17 says kings will come from you and now we have Judah we have the royal genealogy in Genesis 38 and then we had come to Genesis 49 it says there's going to come a king the tribute of the nations will come to him. He will rule his people. He is the one that Revelation 5 calls the lion of the tribe of Judah. He is the one who has come to save his people. This is how salvation comes. This is the one who has come to rule over God's people, to bless God's people. Jesus Christ came from the Jews to be a light to the nations. And then you have him you have him here. You have Jesus coming to a people who are under the law. And he lives under the law. And he fulfills the law. And then he takes on himself the penalty of the law. So that he would redeem people from the law. He would redeem people from death. Jesus Christ came and he died for our sins. He came, he came in to bring in, to even give us the down payment of the inheritance that we would were, we were receive. He came the first time to deal with sins. He comes again to bring eternal life to all of us, to usher in this time of abundance, this time of blessing, this time of, of life that never ends. Think about what is pictured here. This is what, what, the, what the Old Testament often does is it pictures eternal life in terms of the idealized present, okay? So if you're thinking about, if you're in ancient Israel and you're thinking about what the good life looks like, it looks like what's described here for Judah, I mean, he's given, the, he's given good food to his animals. He's filled with health and vitality. He has an abundance of the things that we read about this morning that, that make the, the heart of man glad. This is eternal life. And when Jesus Christ comes again, he ascended to heaven to reign until the time of the end. Until the time when he would return and he would make all these things, when he would complete the salvation that he began when he came the first time. What's the book of Genesis about? The book of Genesis is about Jesus Christ. It's about the seed of the woman who crushes the serpent's head. It's about the offspring of Abraham who keeps all of God's promises. It's about the lion of the tribe of Judah who comes, does away with all God's enemies, and brings in this time of eternal life, of blessing. This is what it looks like to live in the kingdom of God where Jesus Christ is the king. 
And so when we think about the future, let's hope in Jesus Christ. Let's put our trust in Jesus Christ. He is the one who is coming. He is the one that tribute from all nations, all people from all nations will, will praise him. Let us praise him. Let us trust in him. Let us hope in him. Father, uh, thank you for uh, the greatness and, and the majesty of your plan, that you are a wonderful God, a, a promise-keeping God, a God who, who knows all that will and has, has determined from before the foundation of the earth what will be, that you have you planned uh, in your eternal counsels that there will come Jesus Christ, that you would send your son to die on the cross for our sins, and that he would be raised, that he would be, de- be declared the son of God. And we, Lord, we look forward to his coming again. Please come, Lord Jesus. We look for the, the coming of Jesus Christ when the, when the tribute of the nations, when the greatness of the nations, when everything that, that everybody has will stream into the new Jerusalem, when all things will be God's, when all things will be yours, when all things will, will sit under, under the reign of Jesus Christ. Help us to trust in him. Grant that we would have hearts that are changed, hearts of faith that are like Jacob's, where even when things are difficult, even when we foresee times ahead that are filled with, with a mixture of blessings, that we would look forward.